Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 139 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to revisit VO2 Max. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 139 how's it going ryan i'm doing well how about you i'm doing great just finished my long run it's saturday january 12th and uh, sorry, January 14th, I'm two days behind. And here we are recording a podcast while our kids are watching a movie. So we're on borrowed time, which is probably good because people don't want to hear so much about our personal life, I'm imagining. So a little bit about personal life because it's related to running. Today was how cold this morning? 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So 50 degrees, you were running and you ran pretty fast. I ran pretty fast. So we live in Florida. So I know the rest of the country of the United States, at least it's pretty cold everywhere, but just goes to show that it does get pretty cold here as well. And um, yeah, but all in all, it was pretty good. So you're trying to get a PR for your half marathon, right? I'm actually just trying to get back close to my current PR. But you're doing a half. Yes. And so... What are you trying to get to? Well, I want to get as close to 134 as I possibly can within the next couple of weeks. And I've been training for the last three weeks. So it's about five weeks of training and see see where it can take me. And so it's slightly greater than seven minute mile pace. And so prior to your marathon, we'll have to do another prediction to see where you fall. Yes, let's do that. But we still got a couple of weeks. So um, I guess we can do that next week. Were you monitoring your VO2 max recently? I was not. I do always see it on my Garmin, and I guess that's uh, the topic of the day. So before we start, if you are new, welcome. We are Ryan and Letty. We do a weekly marathon running podcast on all things training recaps, nutrition, if we have a guest that is uh, well-informed about it, and and basically you name it. So welcome, and I hope you guys... uh, Follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Running Podcast, and uh, that's it. So let's roll into today's topic. I'm going to throw some terms around. Um, this week, we're going to talk about the VO2 max, and next week, we're going to talk about lactate threshold. So those are two big words for me and probably the newer runners as well that I could never wrap my brain around. Um, and so if we define them and study them a little bit, we can maybe gain some insightful information that'll help us in our training. So I did my research and um, yeah, so let's talk about the difference between VO2 max and lactate threshold. So VO2 max is an athlete's ability to maximally consume oxygen 
while lactate threshold is a determination of the point at which lactate cannot be cleared as fast as it, accum as it accumulates. Although different lactate threshold occurs at a percentage of VO2 max, so the two are related measurements. Um, hopefully after next week, that'll all make sense. But for today, we're going to talk about just VO2 max. So before I hop into the definition, um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of an outline of what we're going to go over while we talk about that. So at first, we're going to talk about what it is. We're going to give a definition of the VO2 max. Then we're going to talk about why VO2 max is so important. We're going to talk about how it is measured, what are, so norm what are some normal ranges, and what is considered a good VO2 max. And then we're going to talk about some ways of how to increase your aerobic capacity so your VO2 max number can hopefully get a little bit higher. So what is VO2 max? VO2 max is the volume of oxygen consumed at the max. So basically, the V stands for volume, O2 is air, and then max stands for maximum. So it should be pretty easy. <laughs> so... The units are always a good way to determine what's going on. And the units of a VO2 max are, and you have to bear with me for a second because everyone probably doesn't like to talk about units, but it is the milliliters per kilogram minute. So it's the milliliters of oxygen consumed per kilogram weight per minute of time. So that, to me, that that's the way to make most sense of it. So it's how much oxygen your body is consuming per minute, but also based on weight. So that's how I look at it. You know, I just try to, you're basically just consuming oxygen over a period of time, and it's a measurement of that. And oxygen is directly related to the anaerobic cycle. So I thought of something interesting and a good analogy for all the car guys out there, which there may not be any, but uh -oh. if there are. So VO2 max, it's similar to a car. So a car needs two things. It needs a, the fuel and it needs oxygen to make the explosion to create the power to go fast. And so it's actually the oxygen is a limiting factor in most cases because it's easy to put a lot more fuel into a car. Um, and the amount of oxygen that gets in there directly relates to how much power it can make at that single, single engine. And so it's a, kind of the same thing with, with running or energy production in that sense or aer aerobic energy production is the amount of oxygen that goes into it is how much work puts out. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. That's a really good analogy, Ryan. I really like that. So, all right. So, um, before we talk about all the other things, why it is so important and all that, keep in mind that the metric doesn't paint the whole picture. In fact, only, in fact, it's only half of the equation, the other being efficiency. So just because you have a higher VO2 max doesn't mean that you are, uh, Iliad Kipchoge. There's other things that come into play, such as skills, technique, mental preparation, physiological profile, diet, uh, your lactate threshold training, etc. So this is just like a little bit of a side note to keep in mind. So next up is the question, why is VO2 max so important? I think in modern times, you know, we're learning the value of, you know, data and we're becoming better at getting more accurate data. And that's just one way of, of measuring like, you know, how much work is being put in by endurance athletes. And so it, I think it's important because it helps you determine how much, you know, work is being put in by your body, how much oxygen is coming in, and therefore how much work it can produce. 
That's right, Ryan. Um, another thing that I also found, and I'm going to tag that on our show notes, is that research found that VO2 max um, directly impacts your lifespan. So that was kind of a cool, um, you know, reason to keep going that even though if you don't care about your running so much because you're running for fun, it's just another thing you can do to uh, increase your lifespan <laughs> if that's what you want to do. <laughs> Longevity. Yes. Um, also, the low, a low score of VO2 max has been correlated with a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, and that's according to the American Heart Association. To me, it, it would make sense, obviously, if you're, you know, if it's a measure of fitness in a way. And so if you're less fit, you're likely to, you know, have more cardiovascular issues. I'm sure there's so many compounding factors, though, with that. So it's hard to, I, I, they probably have a study. I'd have to look it up. But yeah. There's and likely it's just a correlation, meaning like people that are have low VO2 max are less healthy, generally less fit, which generally also correlates with cardiovascular disease. And like with most of these things, there's a million variables. And so to, to pin it to one is unfair because it's usually a lot. But which makes me wonder about how they would even measure that because we're going to talk about the measurements about it very shortly. But if there are only certain ways to measure your VO2 max, do they just tell the people that have cardiovascular disease to do a VO2 max test? No, probably not because I don't think it really... It's not like a direct correlation. You know, just because you have a low VO2 max doesn't mean you're going to be having a heart attack next week. So I think, um, you know, one of the most important things in what everyone's trying to achieve is to determine the effectiveness of what they're doing, like their training. And so I think practically speaking, that's probably the most value for this, us runners is just to determine some metric as to whether or not what you're doing is helping you improve. Yeah, that's, that's so true. All right. So moving on to our next topic is how do we measure the VO2 max so according to online research, the really only reliable way to get the actual reading of your VO2 max is by taking a test in an exercise laboratory. During this test, you wear some kind of oxygen mask and it measures the amount of gas concentrations of uh, inhaled and exhaled air while performing an all-out um, effort exercise on a treadmill, elliptical, or a stationary bike. So we recommend everyone get a treadmill and a VO2 max machine and check yourself at home after every run. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> no, not at all. It's, it's so impractical. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, a lot of equipment. So there's alternative ways that I looked up to measure your VO2 max. And you might want to grab a pen. If you're running, you can't. But... Um, so I found a test that is for treadmill runners. So it's called the Astrand treadmill test. You start at flat at five miles per hour, which is eight kilometers per hour, and run for two minutes. So remember, this is on a treadmill. Then every two minutes, you increase the incline by 2.5, then see where you end up. So how many minutes can you run at the same pace? So then after you know at what minute you stopped, for example, if you stopped at 15 minutes because it just became too hard, too hard to keep the same pace, um, you input your results into the following equation. Time times 1.44 plus 14.99. And that'll give you your VO2 max on a treadmill. 
So that's kind of a cool way of doing it. And then I guess, Ryan, there's another test called the Cooper test. Yeah, so I guess the Cooper test is a 12-minute run test. So you run for 12 minutes and you put in either your miles or your kilometers into a formula and that gives you your VO2 max. So if it was miles, it's 35.97 times miles minus 11.29, which is simpler to the than the kilogram one because it has more numbers than the kilogram one. And what is it for kilometers? 22.351 times kilometers minus 11.288. So it's the amount of kilometers you were able to run or miles for in that time frame of 12 minutes. Exactly. And that's the number you plug into, you know, respective formulas, which we're going to put in the show notes. So, um, yeah, you'll have it there. It'll be interesting so to compare that to like say the Garmin numbers and stuff that that are given you know your watches or other things it'll give a VO2 max and if if anyone does one of these tests and actually like calculates it it'd be interesting to know how accurate they are. Yes, tag us. So yeah, and you already kind of alluded to it. Uh, we do have those scores. If you have a Garmin watch that's not super basic, and we also have Apple watches, they do give you a reading of your VO2 max. Is it accurate? Probably not, but I've read that they are probably within 10% of your actual score. And, you know, again, same as with the paces, I feel like most of the time it's not that relevant whether your numbers are super accurate but they kind of are more of an indicator of where you are going so if you consistently work with the wrong numbers or the almost correct numbers it's nice to see whether or not you're improving because it'll still record that yeah it's probably more more important than accuracy is reproducibility like or consistency if so like even if the numbers are 10% off in your watch or so, if, for instance, they're 10% greater or 10% less, at least it gives you something to base your training on to see whether you're improving or, or not. Yeah, exactly. So with that, let's hop into some uh, VO2 max numbers. The next question that we have is what are some normal VO2 max ranges and what is considered a good VO2 max for runners? And, you know, again, like we said earlier, the VO2 max number is affected by many factors that can be hereditary, training related, age, gender, body composition. And that's all according to UC Davis Sports Medicine Department. When it comes to age, most people reach their peak around their late 20s or early 30s. And then the metric declines as you get older by roughly 10% per decade. <gasps> I know. <laughs> We've just entered an, a new decade, um, unfortunately. But, you know, the good news is that running has become such a popular sport that now they have uh, age group awards. So we can always strive for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So another factor that affects your V2 max is gender. Men are generally larger, have bigger hearts, and can pump more blood, more blood volume, more muscle mass, more hemoglobin, so they can usually have a little more oxygen uptake than, men, than women. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but some things we just can't change, right? Such as the next one, genetics. So research out of the Cerritos College in California claims that genetics may account for as much as 10 to 30% of your VO2 max. Um, you know, that's kind of 
hard to you know picture because we have parents we can look at our parents we don't know their vo2 maxes and we don't know how well they would do slash would have done if they were training um so so that kind of doesn't really help with with anything except for it's another piece of information yeah i think even though it's dependent on like mass too like kilograms are in there not all mass is created equal in the body so it's like I think a lot of there's just so many different factors that probably affect it that way too. Like if your body shapes slightly different and everything else doesn't necessarily mean you can never achieve a good, you know, marathon if your VO2 max isn't as as good. But um, yeah, it's just one of the factors. Yeah. Another factor is where you live or where you travel to. Your VO2 max decreases the less oxygen is available um, to consume at higher altitudes. And that's why you typically have a 5% reduction in the cardio fitness score for every 5,000 feet gained in altitude. And I have a little story in regards to that because I traveled to the, I think it was the Big Bear Marathon and I was staying there. I went for my shakeout run and it showed me my VO2 max score and I was kind of blown away. I'm like, why is it suddenly so low? I had no idea. It was directly related to that whole oxygen oxygen availability. I, I, I don't know how, do you know how the watch is calculated? I think it's calculated by just your watch, your GPS watch knows the topography so it knows at what altitude you are based on the maps it's a, it's called a smartwatch i don't know yeah I've, uh, <laughs> so how much can someone improve their vo2 max you had something about how much you can improve your vo2 max and it says you know 10 to 20 percent but like i feel like it, the very the range is is far greater between you know non-trained male a- athlete or sorry non-trained male healthy individual has a vo2 max of roughly 30 to 40 whereas like elite male athletes can be as high as 90 um and so that's like a you know more than a hundred percent difference but you actually have so you've been doing it based on your garmin for a while now so you have some data yes so you gave me the apple watch back in June of 2080 as my push gift, remember? And I got it a week early before I birthed our second child. And uh, when I was wearing it, the VO2 max said it was 40. And so and I don't know. Now? Right now, my VO2 max is 58. Because now you're doing pretty good, right? Now What's I'm doing your highest? Now I'm doing a lot of training. The highest I've ever had was 61. So that goes to show it can improve more than 8%, but maybe pregnant women are an exception because you literally have a ton of blood in your body, you're carrying a lot of water, and you are kind of, you know, you have a baby inside of you. So maybe if you are pregnant, it's different. I don't know. It may be that the watches are just so inaccurate that they're not accurate, you know, that they're giving you a larger range than they should be also. But... Anyway, regardless, to get back on something more useful. Yeah, so some more useful information. Um, Let's talk about some averages. I know you already spoke about one of them, but um, to go over it, a non-trained male's VO2 max is roughly 30 to 40. The average non-trained female is uh, roughly between 27 and 30. And then in comparison, an elite male can go up to 90 while elite females have been recorded to be between 80 and 77 
As a rule, the closer your number is to 60, the better it is. So you mean the closer to 60, the higher your cardiovascular fitness or the better your cardiovascular fitness? Yes. And because we were talking about what's a good score for, for a runner. I'll add in there that if you're a pronghorn antelope, you could be as high as 300 milliliters <laughs> per kilogram per minute. An antelope? That's An crazy. antelope. And if you're a Alaskan husky running on the Iditarod race, you could have a value as high as 240. So realistically, we as humans are pretty poor in terms of VO2 max compared to other animals, which is not only related to VO2 max, but we're also slow compared to a lot of animals too. That is so true. So can you look up some other animals? Because this is getting interesting. Perhaps you can look up a chihuahua, a rat, German shepherd, and... A horse. Those are very specific animals in a lot of them. A dolphin. Throw in a dolphin, too. How are we going to check a VO2 max of a dolphin? You're going to put like a, well, a scuba see, mask on him? Or are you going to cover the blowhole and check the oxygen coming out? <laughs> let's pick a Maltese. Well, we already got dogs. Okay, no. that's Nobody probably checked the VO2 max of a Maltese. <laughs> can like, you see? How can you imagine telling a Maltese to go run 12 miles and then putting it into a formula? <laughs> But you can put a mask on it. <laughs> yeah, that seems even worse. No, but realistically, they they have done a lot of, I guess, estimates of VO2 max on different animals and stuff. And interestingly, I found, you know, just doing some Googling, that generally it's kind of inversely proportional to weight. So the smaller animals actually do way better in VO2 max, um, with exception to a few of them that we already mentioned, like the... Alaskan huskies and the um, the antelope who do remarkably well, you know, based on their weight. But if you look at smaller endurance type animals, for instance, like a hummingbird can have a VO2 max of 1,090. And then I think you can get other little insects or other things that are theoretically, or if you, you know, you're not obviously measuring them, but you're just kind of extrapolating based on data, you know, would have in the range of thousands of VO2 max. What other animals did you see? So some guy, I guess, you know, found this article. So I, I don't know the validity of it, but it basically is showing like, you know, cow, lion, man, gazelle, goat, horse. Those are all kind of on the lower end, you know, 50 to 100. And then as you get from like 100 to 150, you start getting like mongoose and dogs. And then up higher than that, you get like chipmunks and pygmy mouse or up at 250, which again, you know, those are the smaller animals, which is, I guess, an advantage, but definitely shows inversely to, to weight. You know, you're just having to move so much more weight around. I don't know. That's really kind of cool, especially the hummingbird. That's shocking. But if you think about how fast they flap their little wings, it's crazy. You think you'd evolutionarily would want a higher VO2 max if you were heavier because you'd want to be able to consume more oxygen in order to, you know, move all that extra weight. Yeah. But, but it's also, it's a function of mass. So that probably doesn't, you know, formula wise, it doesn't work out. Yeah. And then again, Just, we don't know the accuracy of it anyway, because how did they measure the hummingbird's VO2 max? We don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
So anyway, so let's move on to the next topic. Our next topic is um, let's talk about some exercises. I think I found about uh, two or three on how to increase your aerobic capacity. And we're strictly talking about your VO2 max number in this podcast. So track workout. There is a track workout um, you can perform 5,000 meter runs. So that's two laps and a half near maximum capacity and recover for two or three minutes between each of those intervals that will uh, help your number. So <laughs> looks like you have another one on here, the treadmill incline workout. So you increase the incline to 8% and complete five two-minute intervals at maximum capacity. Remember to pace yourself so you don't burn out. Yep. So that's uh, something you can do on the track. I mean, I'm sorry, on the treadmill that'll help your VO2 max. Um, another one is the traditional VO2 max intervals that are structured at three to five minutes of hard running, followed by slightly shorter recovery intervals of two to four minutes in length. So the theory is that it takes at least two minutes to reach your VO2 max in an interval. So three to five minutes maximizes your time working at your VO2 max before you fatigue or form deteriorates. So the shorter rest intervals prevent you from dropping too far below the VO2 max between the intervals. So that's why they use that specific formula. So two to four minutes must refer to like, just kind of interesting. When you first start running, you pretty much run anaerobically. You're not using oxygen, you're just using energy supplies in your muscles or so, or fast twitch muscles. But then eventually those energy supplies run out and you have to convert to anaerobic. So that's probably why it's got that delay to get to your VO2 max. Because you're not, when you start running, you can run fast without using much oxygen. So your VO2 max is not going to be high. It's going to take a few minutes to use those energy supplies to convert to aerobic use of your muscles and therefore start consuming more oxygen. Oh, that's interesting. I was wondering about that number, so I'm glad you explained that. Um, if you're not into interval training, here is uh, the good news. You can also boost your view to max through easy runs. While they may seem the exact opposite of interval training, it works. Easy runs are entirely aerobic. The more easy runs you do, the more your aerobic system adapts. When your aerobic system improves, then your view to max increases. So that's for those of us that do not particularly enjoy your uh, interval. So, you know, just keep running and you'll still have some kind of um, benefit from it. So that's really cool. seems to go along the same lines as the last podcast of running more makes you faster. But <laughs> if maybe add in a few intervals or challenging aerobic sections if you want to try to improve a bit with your VO2 max. So according to Wikipedia, the VO2 max can be a poor predictor of performance in runners due to variations in running economy, fatigue resistance during prolonged exercise. Um, the body works as a system. So if you know one of the factors is subpar, you're not necessarily going to be fast. But I think it is a metric and a measurement that could potentially be useful in determining whether or not your training program or your efforts are helping you or not so like if you are on a training program and you're improving versus if you're not improving it can kind of give you at least some idea of what's going on yes so true and that's definitely something that um we have to keep in mind all these numbers that we now have the technology to track they are great to know but not a single one is your sole predictor it also it always kind of works 
So that concludes our topic of today. I hope that you guys found this interesting. I always learn something new when I do research of that sort. So why not share it with you guys? And as promised, next week we will try to tackle the topic of the lactate threshold. Um, anything else from you, Ryan? Have a good week, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.